Greetings, and welcome to the Saved by Nostalgia podcast. I love the power glove. It's so bad. No! I feel the need. The need for speed. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. Look I what you did, you little jerk. Murdoch. I'm coming to get you. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. You are next. And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Welcome and thanks for joining us here on the Save by Nostalgia podcast. Plus Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger here, and I tell you what, we are taking a break. We just reviewed season one of Saved by the Bell. We're going to move on to season two in just a little bit, but we have a very special treat for you. We're going uh, to do our first movie here, and let me just tell you, they've been laughed at, picked on, and put down. Now it's time for the odd to get even. Noah, we are doing Revenge of the Nerds right here on this episode of Saved by Nostalgia, and I'm so excited to do it, my friend. I am as well. So many huge people in this. We've got Anthony Edwards, who plays Gilbert. Jefferson from Married with Children, you know him, uh, as Stan Gable in Revenge of the Nerds. Ray Jackson from Bloodsport was Ogre. Timothy Busfield from Field of Dreams as Arnold Poindexter. And so many more. This cast is amazing. This is a movie that came out um, in 1984, directed by Jeff Canoe. Uh, you mentioned some of the cast, also starring uh, Robert Carradine. And this is a movie that really... It's, it's very interesting because as uh, the, they wanted to film uh, this movie at the University of Arizona, they initially balked at that because they read the script. It's just this raunchy kind of teen sex comedy, but they eventually allowed it to happen, making them, of course, change the name from University of Arizona to Adams College, home of the Atoms, A-T-O-M-S. Wonderful play on words there, and now the scene is set for Revenge of the Nerds. It's one of those movies as a kid that I just vividly remember watching this way too young obviously there's a lot of nudity in this a lot of adult humor and things like that, that i should not have been watching it stands out to me it's one that i the first nudity i ever saw in a movie and we're going to be talking with the girl that i first saw naked in my life in a movie it's julia montgomery she plays betty childs in this movie one of the hottest girls in an 80s movie and julia is going to be helping us break down this film right here noah we pull no punches on the say by nostalgia podcast can't wait to uh, be uh, talking with Julia coming up about her role as Betty Childs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the girlfriend of Stan Gable in this. And you see her a lot. She's making fun of the nerds, but there's a switch at the end. And we all need that. We all need that hope that, you know, the pretty girl, we may be a nerd in school. And uh, that term kind of came about in this film. Uh, we didn't hear that a lot uh, in other countries around the world. It, it was known as Revenge of the Freshmen. They hadn't heard of the word nerd. They couldn't come up with it. They didn't have it in their language. Uh, they couldn't translate it. And so it was a Revenge of the Freshmen. But since we've moved on, nerd is in our culture. That term has come about because of this movie, Revenge of the Nerds. Well, this came out um, on the 10th of August, 1984. It turns 35 this year. Which is incredible. A lot of the actors were in their late 20s and early uh, 30s when they filmed this. So kind of went with the more of uh, veteran actors to, to portray these nerds in this college lifestyle. It's funny because for me, this is my Animal House. A lot of people point to, to Animal House, which came out mm -hmm. uh, a few years before this, as kind of a seminal kind of uh, you know movie of this vein. To me, it was Revenge of the Nerds. It was all about 
uh, you know, the alpha betas versus the lambda, the lambda, lambda, lambdas, these jokes that so many of them just hit the movie. A lot of them, when they filmed this, did not know, is this even funny or not? And we're going to talk to Julia about that, <laughs> how they didn't even know if it was funny and it came out great. A lot of the people didn't want to be associated with a movie like this because of the title. Um, Curtis Armstrong, who plays the part of Booger, his most famous role. Of course, you know Curtis Armstrong. He also uh, was in um, the movie Risky Business with Tom Cruise. But he said he wouldn't be involved with this because he would never pick his, uh, pick his nose on screen. But he acquiesced. All is right in the world. And uh, off and running we are. Of course, you see these lovable nerds, Gilbert and Lewis, they embark on their freshman year at Adams College. Little do they realize the dangers that await them. They are beset by taunting from the jocks from the Alpha Beta fraternity, which only worsens when the jocks accidentally burn down their house and toss the freshmen out of the freshman dorm. Then you have the role of John Goodman as the coach, which cracks me up, Noah, because he takes a real active interest in all of the proceedings of this movie of where the freshmen are going to live, the inner workings of the college, where the freshmen are going to sleep, where his athletes are going to stay. It's just kind of funny because I always consider, like, what if Nick Saban was doing this in Alabama? It's kind of a funny thought. <laughs> I would love to see Nick Saban just roaming around, checking everything that his football players are doing, taking an active interest in their lives, being there at every step, making sure that uh, either they're in a frat or they get the best dorms. And if he's got to kick freshmen out, you can by God bet that Nick Saban would do it. But uh, you talked about Robert Carradine and Anthony Edwards, uh, Lewis and Gilbert in this movie. And uh, I found this interesting kind of to test the effectiveness of their nerd makeup and the wardrobes that they had going on. They actually attended a college rush week for real fraternities, uh, which were kind of reviewing prospective pledges, want to be members, who's going to join, who's not. And uh, the frat leader of the first house took one look at them both and said, no way. So they knew they had it there. They knew that the makeup and their nerd attire was going uh, to carry the day and it was going to work in this film. Also, another little tidbit is Robert Carradine uh, says when he, he read the script, Lewis's laugh was just kind of described as a goose honk, and he just <laughs> didn't, didn't have an idea of kind of how to do it, what that was, what how should he come at this, but just kind of by chance, happenstance, the first scenes were shot with his father, uh, dropping him off, his father played by the great James Cromwell uh, at college, and James Cromwell did the laugh, and Carradine and the other actors uh, that uh, kind of mimicked it throughout uh, and while driving home from the first day of production, James Cromwell finally realized uh, he hadn't put it together. That was his ex-wife's laugh that he was doing and uh, became Lewis's laugh, the signature laugh that we recognize in Revenge of the Nerds. One thing I love about this movie, too, um, is the music. Now, one thing that's kind of funny about this is that you have a lot of just kind of, uh, you know, kind of typical 80s synthesizer pop new wave type songs, you know, by the Rubenews, for instance, the, you know, the Revenge of the Nerds, a song that they, they play as they're going to college. Mom packed us a lunch and we're off to school. They call us nerds because we're so uncool. Tongue in cheek <laughs> lyrics, of course. Perfect. But then you get into the heart of the movie and you've got the key party scene where the, 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 um, the nerds are trying to become trilams. They're hosting this party with a, a former trilam, U.N. Jefferson. He's there to make sure this is a, you know, that they're up to par, that they, that they could take on the role of being trilams. And uh, you've got this song Thriller by Michael Jackson that, <laughs> that plays. Now, this is an $8 million budget film. You have Thriller, one of the biggest songs from one of the biggest selling albums of all time, appearing in this movie. And later on, you have We Are the Champions by Queen as well. How do they get these songs in here? Did, did, it, did you notice that as you're watching it? Like, what is going on here? You have these kind of no-name songs, <laughs> and then those pop up. Unbelievable. 
I did notice that, and I was like, how how in the world just kind of being older obviously when I was a kid I didn't really put that together and but being older knowing how this works and uh, how these companies uh, and music labels how much you have to pay for the rights to these songs and what it takes and what it costs uh, hearing these now uh, going back and watching it uh, as a 34 35 year old uh, as we are it's just unbelievable how did they get these songs Queen Michael Jackson but uh, in that scene uh, at the lambda 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 party Booger lets everyone smoke wonder joints and everyone starts dancing and having a good time. Um, but personally, I don't think that's kind of what changes the party and makes them have the good time and loosen up. Uh, I think the wonder joints were more placebo effect. And the real change was turning on Michael Jackson's thriller. Uh, the nerds end up getting laid uh, by the Omega Moos. It's there, everyone's having a good time. I think Michael Jackson's thriller is what turned this party around uh, instead of uh, Poindexter playing the violin. Uh, Judy playing her accordion, uh, and then we switch to Michael Jackson's Thriller. I think that kind of ch changed the party. I love this party scene because uh, you get Timothy Buzzfield who plays the role of uh, of Arnold Poindexter, and he is a riot in this film. He doesn't say a lot. He doesn't have a lot of lines, but in every scene, you could you tell he's just this sheltered kind of almost like introspective, almost borderline like autistic. <laughs> nerd that just sort of walks around he doesn't really say much he, but once he gets involved in this party it's like an awakening for him so every he's got this girl that's flirting with him and he has this very signature kind of reaction to things where this girl tries to flirt with him she tries to touch him and he always just goes ah like <laughs> it's hilarious i think that timothy timothy Bustle did a great job aren't this poindexter character very intriguing i'd like to know more about his past he seems very unworldly He's trying to paint when they're creating their, their new house, and he's just not sure how to even paint. He's like standing away from the wall and just painting air. It's like he just... <laughs> well, very... about that, they said that his glasses were so thick that he actually couldn't see when he was wearing them. People kind of had to... And as you see, as he's trying to paint that, uh, Takashi comes over and kind of pushes him towards uh, the column there that he's trying to paint, and... Uh, uh, Poindexter's date grabbing his crotch uh, during the party was an ad lib, as well as I think some of Poindexter's uh, screeches uh, that he made <laughs> were ad libs. Uh, the coach, uh, John Goodman, saying uh, later on, um, the nerds put uh, liquid heat uh, in the jocks jock straps, and uh, they run away and uh, go to the locker room after coach makes a speech, and uh, coach says, uh, "Shit, forgot to practice." That was an ad lib by John Goodman there. So they, they kind of worked in some ad libs kind of throughout this entire thing. I love John Goodman as the coach here. I mentioned it earlier, but I can't tell you enough how years later, especially that I appreciate it so much more because it's so over the top and off the wall. Like I said, that you'd have a coach and even a bunch of football players that would be involved with the inner workings of a university. Like they're the part of this thing called the Greek council where they pretty much run the structure of the school and the nerds can't gain any political power because the, the jocks hate them and they they're just keeping them down that whole concept is great and like playing off the tropes and stereotypes of of jocks and nerds really works here in this setting you've got this college setting and like as me it was an awakening to see this stuff about how like these these people go off to college and all of a sudden they're immersed in this world of just like sex and you know all, partying and drugs and drinking it's almost like how I kind of expected it would be for me. Just you plop down on your first day of college and it just kind of starts. It's not that way. But because of that, that's why I say it's like my animal house. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, I didn't see Animal House till after this. It was yeah, later on that uh, I kind of heard through the grapevine about it and went back and watched it and did enjoy it. But like you said, this is our Animal House. Revenge of the Nerds is. And uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about Lamar, played by Larry B. Scott. Uh, he played uh, a gay, flamboyant nerd character in this. And uh, I heard after this film, he was kind of concerned uh, about playing this gay character that he'd be kind of maybe stereotyped. I heard he came into the audition kind of as Lamar and gay and some glitter on and uh, the casting people, producers looked at him and said, you're Lamar, that's it, That's we've got to have you in it. Uh, he went on uh, and he was a Cobra Kai and Karate Kid. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he has, I thought you'd enjoy that, a, tidbit, that nugget. So He didn't have a name in Karate Kid, but he also... There's like a brief scene where he fights, I think, Bobby of the Cobra Kai, like in yes. a in like a in a, a practice setting, and then I think he fights Daniel. Uh, just a brief clip of him fighting Daniel uh, in the final tournament scene. So yeah, Larry he, he wound up. Uh, Larry really wanted to kind of get rid of the stereotype as he got done with Revenge of the Nerds, and of course he has that iconic scene where he, he wins the javelin toss at the homecoming carnival carnival with his lip wristed throwing style and his. Cheat in that carnival like nobody's business. They're cheaters. I won't hear anything else. Uh, they kind of, uh, the nurse cheat by countering the effects of alcohol in the 20 lap tricycle after every lap you chug a beer. Uh, and they cheat in the, uh, the javelin too by creating their own javelin that uh, works best for Lamar. So, uh, but they do end up winning. So that's all that matters. We want the nerds to win in this and they do it. Yeah, let's face it, the 80s movies were all about competition, montages, we know about the Rockies, we know about movies like Over the Top, all the action movies and Van Dams. like it was all about these like this competition, and it was fueled in this by the Homecoming Carnival. What did you think of this overall, like as kind of the crescendo, the climax of the film, having this Homecoming Carnival where all the uh, fraternities and sororities are competing against each other? I was always a huge fan of it as a kid. I loved the way it was shot. It was always like a bright, sunny, and like the music made it just seem like very upbeat 80s. Like I loved everything about it and the competition that, that it was involved in, how the nerds sort of used their intellectual prowess to overcome the alpha betas who are obviously much stronger and more athletic than them, but the nerds overcome it. And uh, I just loved everything about the homecoming carnival, even though it's ridiculous and would never happen on a real college campus. <laughs> Absolutely. But it does make you think of just college and this is just uh, kind of a summer, maybe spring weekend and just all the kids out there in these competitions that they have them do. I mentioned the tricycle laps, the Trojan horse, uh, where apparently uh, someone's sitting on a giant keg and there's ropes uh, tied to poles and you got to try and knock them off. Uh, but the nerds can't knock Ogre off, so he wins. There's a wrist wrestle, which is arm wrestling. Uh, tug of War, a belching contest, which is apparently a producer uh, mixed with the sound of a camel that uh, helps Booger win that. Um, and of course we have to mention at this carnival that Lewis pretends to be Stan Cable and, uh, gets to be with Betty Childs once and for all. And she falls for him. Well, we're going to talk to her about that. It's a good time to go ahead and bring on Absolutely. our guest. Uh, it's Julia Montgomery who played the role of Betty Childs, one of the hottest eighties girls. Well, <laughs> Julia, this is just such a pleasure to have you here on the Save My Nostalgia podcast. You, um, you know, we'll get into a lot um, more about you, about your character. Of course, we're talking about Revenge of the Nerds. This is our Revenge of the Nerds podcast here that we're talking about going back 35 years. Julia, uh, this July will be 35 years oh old. Oh, my gosh. How about that? I, I can't even believe that. <laughs> no, nope. Does not seem possible, does it? I mean, you... 
I, let's just face it. Like, you know, we'll, we'll get into this, but you, um, <laughs> so I saw Revenge of the Nerds as a very, very, very young child, younger than I should have. It was right. fun, one of those deals where like my mom didn't want me to ever watch anything and my dad was okay with everything. So I just sort of got what I could. And, uh, so I, I hate to say this. I'm I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful whatsoever, but I think you were the first nude human that I ever saw on screen. And that's just, we just have to live with that forever. Julia, we will always have that connection. I, that, you know what? Listen, hey, I mean, that's, I have heard that quite often. Okay. It's pretty, it's pretty funny, um, but it's always it's always sort of sweet. You know, I mean, basically, it's, it's a sweet thing. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that you feel that way because it's uh, it'll always stand out in my heart. You opened up a lot of doors for me. Let's just put it, let's just, you know, put it that way. And it's funny because <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds is a movie that, almost cannot possibly be remade today because and, and it gets a lot of flack for being, you know, sexist, uh, almost homophobic, yeah. misogynistic. And when you go back and look at these taboos in the eighties, they just didn't really exist back then. But when you look back at it, do you kind of look back at it with, with reverence or is it kind of like, wow, there was a, a lot of things that happened in there that just wouldn't, wouldn't happen today. Well, definitely. They, they wouldn't, they wouldn't just happen today. That's for sure. Um, we would have, we would have really thought, had to think about it way differently. Um, I think there is sort of a beat missing from that scene where you know, and I, I blame my I, my favorite director Jeff New. I'm like I, I blamed him recently for this because it, of course it comes up all the time now that there should have been at least one more you know beat as we say in the actor world you know one more moment where where. Um, uh, something anger like I mean I I had made it work internally for myself but when you look at it now from now and look back it's like whoa <laughs> yeah not, you know and but what's interesting is I think for Betty because Lewis just kept on his endurance was so great um, uh, at, at continuing to not only not there, so to speak, on the moon bounce, but but uh, there too, I'm sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 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 the, in trying to date her, you know, in trying to get her attention, and in, in in trying to appeal to her in his adorable, you know, dorky ways, where where which I think slowly, you know, eroded away my character's reasoning for over time like she she was so so nice and so smart and so interesting and so like unrelentless then you have you have you have Ted you know Dan Ted McGinley who's just such a jerk to Betty so it's like I think for me I think I had pretty worked out that I was kind of Kind of happily, obviously surprised. It wasn't. I was not. You know, I had no idea that was going to happen. But it was like, oh my god! Like it just completely. I think took <laughs> everything I say sounds like a pun. Put Betty down. Well, yes, that's true. He, he took Betty down. Well, but, or, I feel right down on Betty. Whatever. But, <laughs> That's hilarious. It's great analysis. I feel a lot better about it now. And you know, it's funny because <laughs> you 
you were obviously coming into this had just you know you'd done just a couple things you were in LA I think at the time just you know, not for long and you took this role I mean when you when you go get into this is it kind of like one of those deals where I don't know you're if you had an agent at the time you kind of slowly reveal oh by the way you're going to be naked a lot in this movie it's going to be very <laughs> misogynist I mean what how did you kind of come about this and uh, what was the the okay. process like well you know uh, so so we really we narr- we narrowed it down to very like there was literally two and a half seconds of I guess that was the pie plate or the moment. It was a very short but kind semi you know depending on on the audience member memorable <laughs> I guess. But we literally had it down to like um, to like two and a half seconds or something like that. It was in the contrast. So I. Although I knew my parents were going, don't, I mean, oh my God, this is, this is still an issue, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine that, that, it, that it would be, and, and it, and it was, and so I try not to have it, you know, that, that part of the subject come up, but, um, <laughs> but, um, regardless, uh, a lot of people also, they also, they don't always think about the nudity so much with, sometimes with me. I mean, some people do, some people don't. And and they, like, for, for our Comic-Cons, I have to, uh, we created a pie plate, which is a G, like a PG rated. There's no, there's like whipped cream over the important areas, you know. So, so people get such a kick out of that moment. They don't, they don't seem to be upset that, you know, I'm not going to, Sell it the way the way uh, the way it was on the on the screen because <laughs> at some moment it's, yeah we can freeze and freeze frame and everything but but um, but funny enough they don't oh, hold on hold on sorry about that um, funny enough they they not everyone remembers that but the people who do really do. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know which one. I'm not willing to fess up to being either one of those people. I, I'm just, I'm just a casual, casual observer. What? <laughs> I'm just a casual observer. I, you know, I can't fit into either one of those categories. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know which one of those I am. But uh, you know, it's it's uh-huh. it's funny because um, this movie is is such a revered comedy, and I think that you know, at its heart, I mean, it's a lighthearted sex comedy. Yes, but. The the cast, uh, oh my, you know, from from people like Larry B. Scott as as Lamar, of course, Robert Carradine, and Anthony Edwards. Yeah. This cast was unbelievable, and I think that that's what makes the magic of this really work. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and we had we had that chemistry right from the beginning. It was kind of amazing. It uh, the, this this show. It's just somehow, I mean, it was, I guess it was just meant to be. I mean, we, we had two weeks of, uh, we, we were, we got to come up two weeks early to rehearse, which was delightful and rarely happened. And especially for a movie of that type, of that genre. But we immediately were all friends and we are like friends and there was, there were no issues on the set, like ever. There was nothing as far as personality, you know, problems or anything. There was never then and then all of these years we're still like the best of friends it's, it's crazy like we see each other often and we do we do a lot of events together and then we you know we hang out together and afterwards and just until the morning hours it's just really fun we still we're just like better friends even it's just amazing that's like, awesome you really can't 
you can't you can't say that of, of almost any of any other task. It, it doesn't you know because we'll get we'll do these panels and stuff and we'll all get a chance to talk and it's just I don't know we just our cast just completely we just gelled together and as people so it was it was a remarkably fun uh, experience you know working together with these with these crazy friends. Well, really fun. Um, Julia, the rumor and innuendo, you talk about gelling with the cast, uh, rumor and innuendo say, uh, you know, this, this was filmed, the course at the university of Arizona, which, uh, you know, may or may not have been too excited about the film's script. And then, you know, they kind of reluctantly agreed to let it happen there. But rumor has it that, uh, that you guys pretty much, you know, you were at university of Arizona and you pretty much just partied like you were all college students. And maybe that's, maybe that's why you guys are still friends all these years later. Can you confirm or deny these rumors of crazy Partying at the University of Arizona. It's 35 years later. Uh, we can clear the air here. Confirm, confirm, confirm. <laughs> Good. There was a lot of partying going on, completely, all the time. All not 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 all the time, but by the evening, or you know, by by being off work. It wasn't really. It wasn't during work, but but we were. You know, it was almost cocktail hour or whatever you want to call it <laughs> back in the 80s. So. Um, but, but now, you know, we're, we've all calmed down, but we're still having the same amount of fun. So it's, it's like, huh, that's interesting. These really are friends. I mean, you know, you don't know when you're actually on the set. Will, will you be friends forever? Because it's, it's kind of unusual. But, yeah, who did? We, that would be a yes. <laughs> oh, that... To, I, Oh, to have been there, to have been a fly on that wall. Um, you know, it's funny, you take, think about 35 years later, when you're making a movie like this, and I, you know, I've heard from some of the other cast members that, that a lot of people didn't even realize, you know, is this movie funny? I don't even know if this is going to be good. I mean, you're, you're working on this, you're one of the leads in the film. Do you, when you're doing this as, as such a, as a young lady as you were, thinking about, oh my goodness, in 35 years, people are going to be calling me and asking me about this, and we're going to be talking about it. Could you have ever imagined the impact that this would have had? No, I really, I really couldn't. I, I didn't even consider it. I mean, honestly, in the beginning of the shooting, like a weekend, the producers, they were calling us from L.A. or calling Jeff Canoe, the director, who was fantastic. He was wonderful. Um, and saying, we're, we're going we're gonna to shut the production down. We don't think, we don't think, they didn't think it was funny. And so, I mean, we were already, you know, creating things, but then there were, and, happily created but then even more rehearsals came about and more I mean it ended up to be and then and then when it first came out you know it really didn't they really didn't advertise it that that well and that and then it just became a sleeper and it but yet it has come gone on for you know all this time it's it's been insane I mean it's really totally surprised all of us as far as you know people really loving it and I mean we wanted it to be as great as it could be but if you saw the original script you'd be like huh how did that how did this come from that you know but so it's pretty special and pretty hysterical that it really that it really has it turned out to have legs and all that how do you feel that that the film did for your per- career personally because you went on to do you know a lot of television shows. I mean, ep- you know, episodes of Full House and, and Cheers, Married with Children, and some of the nerd sequels, of course, too. You're of right. course married to Lewis now. It's only natural. But did, what do you think that this did for your career? Do you think it was a positive or or negative? No, no I think it was a positive. I don't think I don't think anyone. Those were the kinds of movies at the time, and I think ours was definitely one of the you know, one of the better, as far as the college comedies, I mean, it, it, ours had so much heart. It was, 
it was a good it was a good thing. And and I always loved my character because of my transition, because I fell in love with a nerd and because everyone, all of us are like nerds inside. Like we there's there's not there's not one person I think in in the world that doesn't have something they feel like that they're off about and that they're weird or that they're so I loved the message of this movie and in fact um, I was offered the second movie, but literally it was written by different writers, which kind of shows you how much disrespect they had for the movie, the, the Fox at that time, but yet they wanted to make a sequel. So it was like, okay, but on page six, they had me sleeping with a jock in a hotel room on page six of, of the Nerd 2. And I'm, I'm up in Canada working on another a, a miniseries, and I'm like, no, there's... There's no way. Did you not see the first movie? There's no way that he would be sleeping with a jock. She she had a total, total transition. So I'm like, I'm going to do the movie. And then they're like, oh, we're going to we'll rewrite the scenes for you. And then I talked to, like, Curtis was already down there shooting it. And Curtis said, Julie, do not believe them. They're not they're not working with us on the script. This is not what they said it's going to be. They're not going to change. Don't believe that they're going to change your scenes because they're not. So I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. But had I not turned it down and stuck up for my character, and honestly, I mean, seriously, to me, I was like the symbol of the transition. I, the, the nerd gets the girl, you know. She breaks up with the, the guy she's supposed to be with because he's so gorgeous and he's so this and he's so that. For a really, really kind and talented person. <laughs> So, anyway, I would never have been a nerd three or four if I, I doubt. If, you know, a guy can cheat, but a girl can't cheat. If I had cheated and that was on the screen, I would have never been, you know, uh, married and having nerd babies in three and four, which, you know, <laughs> that, oh, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that you never, we could never have forgiven you for that. Um, that's a yeah. smart decision, certainly. And, I mean, and you're still. You're still doing so much. You're out in in LA. You're still still doing stuff. What what else do you have coming up? What can our listeners well, uh, can what can we see in and where can we check you out? Well, you know, I'm actually I've gotten really into real estate. I'm a real estate agent. I'm having a blast. It's like a whole different take on life. And I'm doing commercials and stuff like that. But mostly, um, I'm doing real estate at this moment. And yeah, if opportunity knocks, I'm totally gonna to, to take it. And I do a lot of these touring things around with with Revenge of the Nerds. We just do a lot of um, special events and stuff. So we, so for me, it's like the perfect balance. Um, if there were to be, I don't, I, I can't imagine what, how it would go, but if there was, you know, another, uh, another Revenge movie, I would do it or whatever, but I'm kind of just really happy, like having changed it up a bit and, and just having fun, you know, doing commercials, which is like quick and quick and great. And then, you know, seeing my different cast members at these different events, it's like right now I'm totally happy. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's that's just thank you amazing. And I was just out in LA, and I was like, you know what, I need to move here. And then people started telling me how expensive houses were, and I decided I wouldn't do it. So maybe you could it maybe you could help like, me out someday. <laughs> yeah, now you can, you can call me next time. You need to right, but I agree. You no, know, it is. It's, it's it's quite expensive, and you know, it goes along with the ocean and the. The, you know, the ability to get everywhere, do anything within a couple hours, but it is it's quite frightening. Do, and, and it, yeah. Do you, do you find, do, I mean, does, I, I don't know. I've always kind of heard, um, you know, from, you know, different kinds of movies and actresses like yourselves that were, you know, portrayed these, you know, just, just gorgeous women and in eighties movies that are just revered. And like, do you feel, find that, um, you know, daily, weekly that, that you're approached and, 
people talking to you about this and inappropriate lines thrown your way? I mean, does it, is it, is it kind of frequent? Does it happen a lot? It's pretty, it's pretty frequent considering the number of years ago it was. Yeah. And it's pretty funny when it happens because I'm like, I'm always like, you're kidding me, right? Like you, you actually, <laughs> I mean, I touch on my desk to stay looking as good, you know, as I possibly can, but I, to have someone remember and actually recognize you is pretty bizarre. I like, you know, from that long. Because when you say 35 years, I'm like, what? I mean, I feel like we shot it just yesterday. And all of this, you know, Curtis and, and Brian and Robert and, you know, there's like a, there's, and Larry B, you know, this Donnie Gibbs sometimes comes to these events and every once in a while, Tim Busfield. And then this, this uh, spring, I'm going to see Ted McGinley. We're going to do an event together. And, um, in Niagara Falls, but I mean, it's just, it's been, uh, it's been un- unbelievable to think that it's 35 years ago is just crazy. It feels like yesterday. It really does. Yeah, it's it's like one of my first memories of life. I'm 35, so like and I, and I like I said, I watched this as such a young kid. It's like it spanned my entire life. And it's funny. I was telling some of some people that I know, you know, that I know from that era. I was like, you know, we're going to be talking with Julia. She, you know, she played Betty and in, in, in Revenge of the Nerds, and and everybody just perked up. And you know, my my friend Scott said. I'm sorry. She's hottest '80s girl by a hundred. So, so you know, I thought I'd wait till the I end to let you know that. So, yeah, you were you're on you top many lists, and I think of of top uh, top memorable girls in film from the '80s. I think oh, that's amazing. That's really sweet. That's very very sweet. I'll I'll definitely I'll definitely want to be writing that down in my uh, journal because <laughs> that's really really sweet. Because when I look at those girls, I never really you know I, honestly. I don't know. It sounds silly, but I just didn't think of, I didn't think of myself the way that some of those gorgeous, gorgeous girls, you know, I don't know. I just didn't really think necessarily I'd be in the same category, but the movie put me there and I was like, well, okay, then I'll just go with it. Well, <laughs> absolutely. So, You're it's such a part of history and so, so a fan of so many other things you've done too. And I, you know, remember you in full you. house and cheers. And I just uh, big fan of those. Of course, yeah. we're talking revenge of the nerds here, but um, I just, you know, from the bottom of my heart, can't thank you enough for for taking the time. And you know, if you're if you're ever back in in the Kansas City area, you know, you've got our email. Let us know. We'll be glad to take you out for some barbecue. You know, this is you know the bar. You can't ever get enough of Kansas City barbecue. And if you're ever back in I town, we'd love, love to do that. You. I'd love to. I'd love to. Oh. Will you? Will you um, uh- I have your email now, and will you send me this and and let let me know? Will you just keep me informed, and I'll definitely um, email you guys when I'm next in town. Yes, I was literally just there. I was yes, just there with my dad. That is so crazy that you were. I just because yeah. I, I just had thought of you, and I was like, you know what, we're doing this, and I uh, try to get a hold of Larry B. Scott, and um, I was like, you know what. Yes. Uh, she would be Julia would be just so perfect. Let's let, let's try. And then when you said that you would do it, we're like, oh, we're we're gonna roll with that. So yeah, when when um, yeah. when we we do cool. it, we will be letting you know. We'll definitely let you know when uh, the interview airs and when um, everything oh, like that. So that- I'm just so so excited. You're such a sweetheart. Cannot thank you enough. And um, you know, oh, let's stay in touch. You know, all the best, of course. You too. Talk to you soon. I look forward to seeing you in Kansas City. You bet, Julia. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Well, there you have it, Noah. Julia Montgomery as uh, the wonderful, vivacious Betty Childs talking about how this character was really kind of opposite of how her personality was. And she was really kind of, you know, not sure about the, the all the nude scenes going ahead. But she did it. She was very much a good sport when I, you know, when we let her know that this was kind of our first 
experiencing a, a nude woman on television or on a movie was <laughs> was her and she's a great sport thanks for for joining us and i'll tell you what is your thoughts on her because a lot of people i talk to say top five 80s movie hot girl of all time i'm gonna i'm gonna agree i think she's in the top maybe three or four of um of iconic 80s hot hot chicks what do you think I think you have to put her up there. I mean, especially with just how big this film is. Uh, we haven't seen all the 80s films. We're not sure. There may be smaller films. But just with how big this film is, how many people saw it, and, of course, just uh, how beautiful she was, you have to put her at least in the top five, if not, like you said, the top three. And at the end of the movie, she joins Lewis uh, at the pep rally, and you can see just Lewis uh, just can't believe that this is happening. He's finally got Betty, and she joins him there. And if you look in the background, you see Burke, and he kind of taps Gable on the arm, kind of like, what the hell, man? You just lost your girl to a nerd. It was just kind of a nice touch I noticed in the background there, if you look at Burke. Well, I think, you know, Julia talked about how there was kind of a side story where um, Stan Gable was going to wind up being a nerd. Yes. And they cut that out, and it was something that would have been interesting to see where he was a closet nerd, and at the end, he kind of joins the nerds. It would have been interesting to see that. I like how it ends with this this uh, you know homecoming pep rally, and the team is out there. I thought it was interesting, Danny Burke, this wide receiver. like He looked like definitely he'd be like a Wes Welker-type slot receiver for the Adams Adams. But uh, they're still <laughs> feuding with the nerds at the end. But you know what? Uh, it, it is Lewis who gives the iconic speech at the end that says that the world will not be right until nerd persecution ends. And um, people join him in, in a moment of levity. They sing Kumbaya. There's a, We Are the Champions by Queen is playing. There's a triumphant ending to just what is a tremendous comedy. And, uh, and we're out of here. What a great ending it was. I loved having the, the, the We Are the Champions um, playing. It just added a lot to this as we cut to credits. What do you think of the ending? And uh, how did you feel like it went? I love the ending, and of course, we have to talk about We Are the Champions playing. It's unbelievable. They get they get another one. Uh, we mentioned Thriller, and here at the end of the film, uh, they've got We Are the Champions. I love the speech at the end and uh, kind of how they talk to all the alum out there. And um, if you were a nerd um, or even if you were just picked on or teased or put down, uh, come out here and join us, and let's end this nerd persecution. I thought it was a great way to end it uh, with Judy there on Gilbert's arm. Uh, Betty Childs there on Lewis's arm. I thought it was a great ending touch. But how different would this film have been? Uh, we have the Dean in there. I thought he was portrayed well. Uh, but John Candy, Jason Alexander, Nathan Lane, and Danny DeVito were also considered for the role of the Dean. And Rick Moranis was rumored uh, to either play Lewis or Gilbert. Obviously, they went uh, a different direction. Maybe Rick went a different direction. I'm not sure which way that went. But uh, he was rumored to play that. Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, so that would have been interesting as Rick Moranis uh, playing one of those. And then Joan Cusack and Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker were uh, auditioned for the role of Judy. So just some uh, different uh, people there that auditioned that uh, would have taken this film in a different direction. It would have been interesting to see. I always liked the Judy character. I liked how that she got paired up with Gilbert. I thought it was like a perfect pair. They were just these two kind of naive you know, there, it was very innocent and harmless between those two, whereas everything else was about over-the-top sex and, you know, boogers in there just trying to, you know, get with any fat Omega Moo that walks through the door. And then you have this <laughs> innocence of Judy and Gilbert. I kind of liked that uh, dynamic in those two. She was a sweet girl. Played the accordion. You can't, I mean, you know you're not going to get laid when you're dating a girl that plays the accordion. <laughs> but you, but she'll be loyal. You know that. And I... Absolutely. I... I... <sighs> 
Robert Carradine's great, um, as is Anthony Edwards, but I think Rick Moranis could have added a lot to this. I, I don't know who I would have rather had him play, whether it's Lewis or Gilbert, but um, I, I would have loved to see Rick Moranis in this. And I think John Candy, um, kind of on the side of John Goodman, you see the dean standing next to the coach, Coach Harris, John Goodman a lot. I think John Candy would have been great as the dean. Uh, not so sure about Jason Alexander, Nathan Lane, or Danny DeVito. I'm not sure they're uh, they're right for it. John Candy would have been an interesting touch, I think, uh, as the dean. That is interesting because the character of the dean, um, and maybe it got pared down quite a bit, but he is sort of um, kind of the the yin to the yang from uh, from John Goodman's character in this. So he's sort of like standing up for the nerds. He's clearly a nerd himself. He's sort of championing them and trying to keep them. But he's he feels intimidated by. John Goodman is this coach. He's sort of, but at the end, he stands up to him. And so you have this kind of moment where the nerds uh, kind of rise to the top and they stand up to persecution and, and it's over. Final thoughts on this as we wrap it up. This movie is, is very important to me. I, I've watched this uh, with my dad as a very young kid, which is hilarious because this movie is extremely raunchy, extremely sex laden, nudity, adult humor, and uh, maybe as much or more of it for, than any movie of its kind from the day. I mean, can you even think of a movie from 1984 and and beyond that that really encapsulated as much kind of this kind of <laughs> you know sex and, and nudity and it, there's really not many movies like this when you think about it. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, this is kind of the beginning of what kind of the 80s and 90s uh, grew into in these kind of films, and it it just kind of stands the test of time. Uh, whether we saw it uh, as kids growing up, as 34, 35-year-olds, the nostalgic factor is high. And uh, even if you haven't seen this and you're listening to this, you will enjoy it no matter what age. This stands the test of time. I agree. The comedy still hits. The jokes still hit. Booger um, is just played by Curtis Armstrong. Just He's a crack up every single time he's on screen. The way he, the little lines, like when he says that, uh, you know, at, they ask if anyone has a date for the party, and he said he's been out combing the high schools all day. You can just tell he's just this kind of rough and rugged character that has no filter, does not care about offending anyone. He's just this, I just love him. I, I think that everything, all the characters in the cast, it just kind of hit. We heard from Julia, played Betty Childs, who I think was completely perfect, just sort of like represented my idea of just this fantasy you know, fantasy girl, she was a pie, Sigma pie. That's just like what you dreamt of uh, going to college and having a chance with one of those. And I think it just, it, I agree, it stands the test of time. Um, it's just one of those movies that I can't conceive of my life without it. I watched it at such a young age. All the music, all the characters to this day resonate with me. I use lines and quotes from it um, almost daily or weekly. So, yeah, huge fan of it uh, then and now. And as we get out of here, Noah, I think that there's no other way to really end this podcast. Then with us giving our best shot of the Revenge <laughs> of the Nerds Lambda 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 rap. And um, as we exit here, I'm going to count us in, and we're going to give it our best shot as we uh, as we bid adieu here on the Save My Nostalgia podcast. But guys, if you like what we're doing, be sure to check out all our social medias. Just search Save My Nostalgia. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. It's on Google Play. It is on Apple Podcasts, and it is certainly on Spotify. Press that subscribe button. Let us know how you feel about it. Noah, I'm going to send us out on a one and a two and a three. So clap your hands, everybody. Everybody clap your hands.
for Lambdo, Lambdo, Lambs, and Omega Moves. And we'll come here on stage tonight to do a show for you. We got a rock and rhythm and a high-tech sound that'll make your movie body down to the ground. We got Poindexter Dexter and the violin, and Lewis and Gilbert will be joining. And we got Booger Presley on the main guitar and a rap by little old me, Lamar. We got Takashi beating on his gong. The boys in the moves are clapping along. And just when you thought you seen it all, along comes a land of four feet tall. So won't you come out here on the floor so we can move our bodies like never before. Bray. So we can work our bodies like never before. Bray.